on the way to being free. Terry, it's such an honor to be here with you and be here right in the middle of the garden. And to paint the picture a little bit, uh, we have lunch being made from Incredible Dean. And what are we having for lunch today? He made chili and he also is making a beautiful salad. Incredible. From the garden. From the garden. From the garden. And we are sitting, yeah, pretty much dead center in the the farm here. And um, I just had some of the fresh picked strawberries, mm-hmm. which was the best strawberries I've ever had by far. Um, what's your favorite part of the garden? Oh my goodness, that's a really hard question. Um, well, I am definitely becoming a big fan of the strawberries this year. Uh, they're so abundant. I, it just is um, astounding. And then I really like the flowers. Um, when I first started working here at the project, I got to work on the farm quite a bit. Um, and my favorite things were to be in the greenhouse with those little babies and the incredible light that the greenhouse always has and to make bouquets. Um, and I think those are still two of my favorites. That's awesome. And just the concept of gardening and as you've grown a deep love for it, what does gardening mean to you? Hmm. I think it means um, becoming in relationship with the land to meet some of our basic needs for food and beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the learning that I've done here over the years um, and that I, lear- I see other people doing about how living systems work and how we can best partner with living systems and the and the land to make food for us in sustainable ways. You know, it's a it's really a deep source of wisdom. It isn't just practical knowledge. Um, it's it's something much more important than that. I see um, our trainees, but also our CSA members and volunteers who come out here. Um, Gaining something that's really hard to put a value on um, and to um, to really name just how powerful it is. You've mentioned it being, uh, I heard in one of your past interviews, uh, a sanctuary. Yes. Speak a little on that. How, why a sanctuary? Yeah. Um, well, you know, for people experiencing homelessness, especially, um, the garden is a place where everyone is expected to um, treat others with respect and cooperation. Um, It's our number one rule. And um, people really respond to that. It's also a sanctuary because of the beauty 
Um, I think it also helps people get perspective. I, you know, I've been coming to this farm every week at least since 1995. And I still get this thrill of, it's like a peacefulness washes over me as I step from the street onto the farm. And it still surprises me every time it happens. It still mystifies me exactly why it happens. Um, And I really feel like um, the best way to understand it is to experience it. Um, And if you talk to almost anyone here today, they will tell you in their own words something very similar about how the farm um, creates a sense of belonging, a sense of peacefulness, um, a sense of purpose and of um, being part of something larger than oneself mm. um, and of like very easy access to working together as part of a team to um, have the same goal and to accomplish the same goal. And before stepping onto this farm, what was your journey of getting to the point where you were actually working? Because you started here in 1990. So I, right? so the, we got this farm in 1995, and the project started in May of 1990. And um, it was an idea in Polly's mind even well before that. Um, and then I came in 1991, and it was a different farm. It was... Um, about two and a half acres on Pelton Avenue between Lighthouse Avenue and Laguna in Santa Cruz County. And um, it was a beautiful little farm, a long strip of land. And um, uh, the way that I got there was um, I had been doing research um, on turtle reproductive cycles and... um, I loved it. I just loved doing research. I loved um, how it drew me into the questions and um, microscopic worlds and worlds of experiment. And um, I was a really hard worker. Um, and then I took a break to have my children. And when I had my son, it just suddenly came to me that I did not want to do research anymore. I really wanted to do something that gave back directly to people in the community and really worked with basic needs. So when my kids were a little bit older, I started um, looking around for how to do that. I read a book by Miles Horton, um, who's one of my heroes. Uh, it was called Unearthing Seeds of Fire. And he talked about um, when you want to be involved in social change, but you yourself are not actually experiencing part of the problem that the most effective role for someone in that situation is to bring people together to help them find their own solutions um so i was kind of trying to find a way to work with that and i um, went to the resource center for nonviolence and asked to do an internship and they didn't really have um a situation for people like me to do an internship, but they graciously allowed me to do it and gave me a lot of support. Um, and I found out about the Homeless Garden Project, and I thought, this is everything I want all in one package. Mm-hmm. And um, So I went out to the farm um, to try to kind of see how I could be of value to the Homeless Garden Project. 
I believe I came with my children the first time, and they were about seven and four. Um, and I saw that there was this really thriving community of people, um, you know, gardening and harvesting and feeding themselves and functioning. You know, there was an economy happening and um, sort of like a little micro-community. And I thought, well, they've kind of got it all figured out. There isn't a whole lot I could do. However, it was really hard for me to find this place, so maybe I could help them get the word out about what they're doing. And um, kind of true to the Miles Horton way of doing things, I thought it would be best to have the people who are experiencing homelessness talk about their own experience rather than me writing about it for them. Um, and so that's what I did. Um, I went to a circle meeting way back then, almost 30 years ago, and um, fully expecting everyone to just sort of knock down the door with their eagerness to write something for the newsletter. Um, I mentioned that I was doing this newsletter and who wanted to join in. And one person, Bill Tracy, um, said he wanted to write something. Turned out to be a really incredible person, uh, really excellent writer, Vietnam War vet, um, a natural leader, just an incredible guy. And he wrote something called A Day in the Life of the Homeless Garden Project. Mm. But I really understood that there was a real diversity of reasons why people became homeless and and just the humanity of who was there. Um, so I arranged to interview most of the people who were on the crew. And um, at that time, the farm was really focusing on getting the gardening done. And um, there wasn't anybody working one-on-one -on -one with the, um, at that time, people were called workers. Um, so I got to do that in, as part of um, asking people about their experience in writing. Yeah. It, it, one of my huge biases toward the homeless community was, you know, work a little harder, you should have made better choices with your life. And then you come out here and there's um, everybody's hard at work, you know, uh, spending a lot of time connecting with one another. Um, they're not, you know, everyone, it, you start to realize that everyone is a little bit more similar than we are different from one another. Mm. And what kind of broke through my bias was my mom ended up in that situation. Who's the hardest working woman I know. And how has that impacted you and, and kind of inspired you to see people that are transitioning out of difficult circumstances and working alongside them and, and kind of getting to be a witness of that firsthand? Yeah. Um, well, what you're talking about makes me think of um, an experience I had with the National Transitional Jobs Network. Um, you know, we had been working in this way for 21 years or so we were doing this, and they were getting a bunch of organizations together from all over the country who were using transitional employment as a way to help people get out of homelessness. And um, they had this saying that, you know, really rings true for me, but they put words to it for me. Um, most people who are experiencing homelessness want to work, and given the opportunity, most people will succeed. Um, and that's definitely what we see here. We really acknowledge that our program is not a solution for everyone, 
Um, but you really see her um, deep appreciation for the opportunity to work and um, a real drive to grow and um, improve work skills and excel. Um, you know, drive and ambition. Yeah. Um, and... And dive in a little bit to the actual program. So when people come up to you for the first time, like, oh, Derry, what do you do? You know, uh, what do you say to that? What, you know, what, yeah. what's the what's the quick pitch of the Homeless Garden Project? Yeah. Um, well, the Homeless Garden Project provides jobs and transitional employment, job training and support services to people experiencing homelessness. And then in direct complement to that, we operate a dynamic volunteer and community education program. And all of our programs take place in our three-and-a-half-acre organic farm and in related enterprises. So, elevator speech. No, I love it. I love it. And and so as people are, are kind of working here, so many different things are produced here on the land. Where does all of the, the food and everything that's being produced go? Right. So, um, for, so for our farm enterprises, there are three. Um, there's the CSA, the farm stand where people can, um, they don't have to make the commitment of a CSA member. They can just come and um, harvest what's available that day. And then we have some wholesale accounts. And then the CSA gets a little more elaborate. There's um, actually three different kinds of CSA. Um, there's the pickup where we harvest the share for you and it's all set up over on the farm stand on Friday afternoons. Um, CSA members come and gather their share. And then there's you pick um, CSA members who come either Friday or Saturday to pick up their share and they harvest it themselves. Um, and I, I got to do it the last two weekends. And even though I've worked here all these years, um, it was still just a really, really sweet, surprising experience, you know, of, um, it's, it's a difference in relationship to the land to harvest the food yourself mm -hmm. and then to go home and cook it and eat it. Um, and then I imagine for the CSA members to do that all season long is, you know, you create quite a strong relationship with the land. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we also have a kind of CSA share that's a hybrid donation and enterprise. It's called um, Feed Two Birds. And in that program, people in the community make a contribution to the project. And their contribution supports the training program. And then it also supports getting our organic produce to some of the most vulnerable people in our community. Um, so we partner with 10 different local programs and agencies and, um, they each come on Tuesday and pick up three shares. Um, for some reason I can't ever remember all 10 of them, but some of them are the housing and urban development, veterans administration, supportive housing program, 180-2020, which is a program, um, housing the most vulnerable among us and chronically homeless. And once people get into housing, um, they're in permanent supportive housing, so they have case management. And so the case managers are able to bring food to these people. Um, 
who know that it was grown here at Homeless Garden Project. I mean, it really deepens the relationship between these recently housed people and their case managers. Um, we work with the River Street Shelter, uh, Davenport Resource Center, Loaves and Fishes, um, a local school that's serving vulnerable, low-income youth and their families. Um, and then the flowers, you know, every bouquet, every um, share that we produce has a bouquet associated with it. Um, and in this case, we give the bouquets to the hospice of Santa Cruz County. And we've been having this partnership with them for years, and it's really beautiful. They put the bouquets um, in their office by the door, and then as social workers and nurses go to visit the families and the patients in hospice, they um, they take a bouquet with them. That's incredible. It's incredible. The food, the bouquets, so much going out from this land here and bringing joy and smiles to so many people. Yeah, and it really um, sort of flips the narrative. There's a lot of... Um, a lot of the narrative around serving people experiencing homelessness is, you know, giving people handouts or um, giving people to giving things to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, our trainees are part of the solution. They're contributing. Yeah. It's so beautiful, and it's such a dignifying thing. I just recently saw. Um, I love reading like ancient Jewish literature, and uh, one of the things I recently came across with it was the eight levels of charity. And it's like this broken down list of like, there's different levels of charity and kind of different, um, you know, like the the least form of like number eight was uh, giving grudgingly. Mm-hmm. And, but the number one form of charity, the, the highest level of charity is giving somebody an opportunity um, to work and to live a sustainable lifestyle for their own and giving them that type of an opportunity. And that's what you guys are doing. And and it's rare that I come across organizations or uh, charitable work or just work in general that is giving that type of an opportunity um, to people. Such it's it, it's the highest level of dignity. Um, so it's such a, a beautiful thing to start. Kind of a normal. That's the bell for lunch. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. We'll wrap it up here. So going into the day and starting the day, because um, I want to talk a little bit about like. There's the high level of what the Homeless Garden Project does kind of on a bird's eye view, but just a normal day on the farm. And um, we got to just enter into the day today. How you go into something is how your experience is going to be. And you guys start every day in something that's called Circle. Can you tell me a little bit about of that? Because um, that was the most incredible thing that we could have done. Yeah, it is incredible. Um, It's evolved somewhat over the years, but the essence is still there of bringing everybody together and um, really honoring each person's voice and each person's contribution to the team. And um, a question is asked and we go around the circle and each person answers the question. They can check in if they want. Um, and there, it's not a conversation. It's just an opportunity for each person to speak and we all hear it. Um, it, it really does deepen our understanding of each other and of who we're working with here. Um, and it also helps us to understand how people are doing each day. Um, 
I didn't tell you that before we begin the circle, we do um, a moment of mindfulness. And, um, you know, wherever people are coming from, whatever their morning has been, um, it's an opportunity for them to really settle in, um, you know, do a little self-exploration, take a few breaths, find some calm, and prepare for the day. And, um, I mean, I, I hope you could see, like, how much people inspire each other. And mm-hmm. um, The vulnerability is one of the most beautiful ways to connect with others. And being somebody from outside of the group and coming into a circle where I don't know the majority of the people, I instantly felt connected to what was going on before we had even experienced it. Um, And so thank you for creating those circles and and kind of those places where everyone can belong. Um, More than ever, we need that. And those, um, I call them a a space for grace. And Mm -hmm. just for people to be able to sit with one another and share where they're at in a safe environment is is rare nowadays and it's a gift to many. Um, And then right when we left the circle, I get handed a biscuit, uh, (laughs) a homemade biscuit from Dean, a blueberry biscuit. And um, just that kind of a welcoming spirit here. And I'm so blown away that I even got to be a part of this. As we kind of wrap up the interview, share a little bit about the future and the vision of where things are going with the Homeless Garden Project. Right. Well, we we're really, um, we think that our program could be a model for other communities. And um, we think that our current program design, which we're always conf- refining and improving, and um, we think that it has lasting impact and um, that it benefits the community in so many ways that it would be valuable to spread the model. And we're really interested to have more impact in our community. Um, We've been farming here on this land since 1995 with a month-to-month lease. Um, The landowner has been extremely generous um, to allow us to use this land for this long. And there's been a question for a good part of our life of, you know, is is it the Homeless Garden Project sort of a grassroots project that, you know, could end any day now? Or is this an organization where we're really making a commitment to seeing this vision through and making a sustainable, lasting organization? There's sometimes has been a joke of the Homeless Garden Project is homeless. Um, and you, land is such an important part of the work that we're doing. Um, so in 1998, the city of Santa Cruz approved the Pogonip Master Plan. Pogonip is a city-owned 640-acre piece of land, Greenbelt. Um, and in the Pogonip Master Plan, they put a nine-and-a-half-acre farm for Homeless Garden Project within a larger 20-acre envelope. Um, And so we started working really hard on realizing that vision in around 2014 or so. um, I think it was in 2016, we did a feasibility study to see if we could raise the money to build this permanent farm. And um, it was more money than we'd ever raised. It was three and a half million dollars. And 
the person who did the feasibility study for us came back and said, well, the good news is, yes, you can do it. And we think it's going to take a little longer than other organizations because um, you have some work to do on, you know, developing relationships in the community with your donors. Um, we put together this fantastic capital campaign team of really dedicated, um, passionate, effective people um, and started meeting with some of our local donors, taking them out to the site, showing them the plans for the site, and telling them why it matters, and um, asking for three-year pledges. And we just had amazing results. Um, and the idea is that we'll be at this farm. We have a 20-year lease with three five-year renewable terms. Mm. Right now, um, this farm here has a porta potty um, and no electricity. Um, we have a hotspot now um, because of the virus. But, um, you know, it's pretty rustic. Um, and the plan is for us to have... Um, be all together at one site, at the new site. Um, there's plans for a barn and um, sort of a, a like administrative and kitchen and building where there's classroom space and um, lunch space, a lot of covered space, um, meetings for places for social workers to meet with trainees, um, and then two greenhouses. And there's um, sort of an east garden and a west garden, um, so capacity to grow a lot more food than we do here. And our, our plan is to build the farm and then to move our program up there and to farm at our current levels. Right now we have 17 positions plus two crew leads um, and sort of, you know, make sure our systems are really in place and that we're bringing people into an effective, thriving work environment. And then to double to 34 trainees and sort of discover what we need to learn about how to do that well and do that for a couple years at 34 and then eventually get to 50 positions a year, mm. um, which is thrilling to think about really having that much impact in the community. And how does somebody get actually uh, to a place where they can apply or, or get into the program? Yeah, so normally... Um, we have a lot of different doors for people to enter, um, but eventually somebody's going to come here to the farm and um, spend a day with us, sort of like an orientation day, working alongside us. Um, if they're if they're still interested, they can fill out an application, and um, then we'll do an interview. And we want to work with people who... Um, three things. One is that the person wants to use our program that can last for up to a year to get into a job in housing. That in trying to meet that goal, they're really coming into barriers or obstacles. And then the third thing, just that we find that the community is such a huge part of what helps people succeed here, that we want to make sure that it's somebody who will make a positive contribution to the community. Mm -hmm. And that shows up in a number of ways. It shows up... Um, as, you know, keeping agreements, one of those agreements being that you'll show up. A lot of it has to do with really investing in your own success as much as the project is. Um, and so we'll do the interview, and um, then if somebody's a good fit, they'll be hired into the program. 
And we have um, a group of milestones that people have to meet in order to stay in the program. There's a two, four, six, nine, and 11-month milestone. Wow. Well, I'm excited for the future and um, honored to be here in the present. Um, and as you mentioned this morning, you are a lover of poetry, yes. and so am I. And so to wrap up this episode, would you mind reading some of your favorite lines? Not at all. I'm excited to read poems. So I have two. One is from Antonio Machado and one is from Wendell Berry. And they're just parts of a poem. So the one from Antonio Machado, it's from the poem, Last Night As I Was Sleeping. And he says, last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt, marvelous error, that I had a beehive here inside my heart, and the golden bees were making white combs and sweet honey from my old failures. And the other one is from Wendell. Redemptive. Yes. Yeah. And, and allowing failure. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we have a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes failure is the only way to get through to success. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one is from Wendell Berry's poem, The Arrival. Like a tide, it comes in wave after wave of foliage and fruit, the nurtured and the wild, out of the light to this shore. In its extravagance, we shape the strenuous outline of enough. It's beautiful. I love that last part. It's something we've often asked at the project is how much is enough? Hmm. Are you going to read your poem? The one that I read earlier? Yes. Let's see. So this is by, written uh, by Big Thunder in the year 1900. And it goes... The great spirit is our father, but the earth is our mother. She nourishes us. What we put into the ground, she gives back to us. And healing plants as well. If we are wounded, we go to our mother and seek to lay our wounded part against her to be healed. Yeah. When, um, you know, I was doing a lot of research. I'm fascinated by um, what people are out there creating solutions in society. And I'm constantly becoming in tune with and being aware of, um, we just, we need a massive shift away from being issue focused to being solution focused. Mm. And I'm always fascinated to come across people that are creating solutions. And typically they're creating solutions to help people or they're creating solutions to help the planet. And the Homeless Garden Project is the first that I've come across that's helping both mm-hmm. in such a beautiful way and, and, and tying that in. And um, so I thank you for your work. I believe that the sky is the limit in the work that you're doing. And I'm excited to do a follow-up interview with you as you guys jump to the next uh, piece of land. And um, once you guys get established over there, we'll have to do a an update. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing your team here and for the beautiful blankets you gifted to everybody at Circle this morning and for the work that you're doing. And um, 
you know, I've been talking about all the different doors that we put in place so that people find various ways to connect with us. And I feel like the door that you're making for people to learn more about how to be engaged in their community, how to make a difference, what's possible, um, is just so inspiring. So thank you, mm. too. Yeah, absolutely. And let's uh, go eat an incredible meal from the garden right now. Okay. Thanks, Bob. <laughs>